few months back, I said the following during a podcast about wisdom literature. Read properly, the Bible can actually be very funny. We've, we've picked out a few funny bits along the way so far, but before too long, we're going to look at an entire book that I believe is intended as a dark comedy. You probably won't guess which one. The time has come to reveal which book I was talking about. If you're familiar with the Bible or even vaguely familiar with popular Bible stories and tropes, you might be surprised to discover that the book in question is the one about Jonah, the prophet who done got swallowed by a big old fish. So is that the part that's funny? Well, kinda. Join me for a few minutes and I'll tell you why I think this story is supposed to be a dark comedy. But first, welcome to book. This is Book, a Bible podcast for everybody, and I am Josh Way. We've made great strides in our walk through the Hebrew Bible. In fact, all that remains are a handful of short prophetic books and a few tales from the Babylonian and Persian exiles. Jonah is one of the so-called minor prophets. It's not that he doesn't matter, but that his book is small and has been collected with several other short works which span Israel's later history, from the time of the kings up to and throughout the dispersal, the exile. With Jonah, we have very little data regarding authorship, historicity, or time frame. The Book of Kings indicates that a prophet named Jonah operated during the reign of Jeroboam II in the 8th century, which would place the events of this story in proximity to the Assyrian conquest of Israel in the north. But the actual writing of the text could have been as late as the 3rd century after the return of Judah from exile. This is most likely a tale told and retold throughout centuries that found a particular written format at a particular historical moment. We'll see a little later on why the historical backdrop is crucial to interpreting the story of Jonah. Jonah is a short and very stylized story, told with many puns and a thick coating of that aforementioned dark humor. In modern Bibles, it's divided into four chapters, and the story does break nicely down into four parts. Not unlike Job, Jonah is a book that contemporary Christians have read in a very specific way, but which really warrants a fresh look. If you've learned about Jonah in a church, this is probably what you heard. Jonah was a reluctant missionary. God told him to preach repentance to a city called Nineveh, and he refused to go. So God made a whale swallow Jonah and take him to Nineveh, where he delivered God's message and the people repented of their sins and were saved. The lesson is, when God calls you to be a missionary, you might resist, but you can't run away from God. Well, okay, not half bad. The story really does provide all of those beats, but there's something glaring about this reading, something wrong that should be obvious. Did you figure it out yet? How about this? This isn't a story about the church. This is a story about ancient Israel. There weren't any missionaries. The modern Christian category of missionary may nicely retrofit onto this story, but it's an anachronistic reading that misses the central tension of the thing. Ancient Jews, like modern Jews, didn't export their religion to other lands and peoples. They weren't on a mission to save other people for their God. In fact, they were usually asking God to save them from their neighbors. So what we have in Jonah is a bizarre story about Israel's God asking a prophet to offer a message of hope to the bad guys. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Here's how the story opens in chapter 1. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah ben Amittai, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come to my attention. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of Yahweh. 
he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of Yahweh. Note right off the bat here that we don't have any in the year of or during the reign of, nor do we have any biographical info about Jonah. The story simply begins. Now that doesn't mean for certain that the book isn't meant to be historical, but it does mean that it's beside the point. The events and themes of the story are what's important, not whether it happened or not. Now I'm not saying that's the case with every Bible text. We have to pay attention to the literary cues. The prophet gets his orders from God, and they're kind of crazy. Go to Nineveh, an Assyrian city in the heart of enemy territory, and call them out for their wickedness. Now, this doesn't strike Christians as odd at all because of their mindset of taking the gospel to the world. But in national Israel, this is the most unexpected thing ever. Sure, prophets often ranted against enemy nations, but that was always for the benefit of Israel's kings and citizens. What purpose could God possibly have in sending one of Israel's prophets to the bad guy's door? And so we sympathize with Jonah to a certain degree, and we understand why he hops a boat to Tarshish, a city far away across the Mediterranean Sea, about as far away as an ancient Israelite could imagine going. This, by the way, is already supposed to be funny. Yahweh gives Jonah an undesirable task, so he hops a ship thinking he can just move out of God's jurisdiction. This is the thematic undercurrent of the whole book, not unlike Ezekiel's throne vision. Is Israel's God still God outside the borders of the land? The literature insists that he is. Back to the story, continuing in verse 4. But Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was in danger of breaking up. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They hurled the ship's cargo into the sea to make it lighter for them. But Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship, where he laid down and fell asleep. The captain came and cried, How can you sleep so soundly? Get up, call out to your God. Maybe the God will regard us, and we won't die. A storm threatens to destroy the boat, and the pagan sailors are terrified. They call out to their various gods while Jonah takes a nap in the cabin. Then the sailors cast lots to determine whose god is responsible, and the lot falls to Jonah. Jonah identifies himself to them as a Hebrew, a worshiper of Yahweh who, quote, made the sea and the dry land, and he tells them why he's fleeing from Israel. The sailors are alarmed, and so, at Jonah's suggestion, they hurl him overboard and the storm subsides. The pagan mariners rejoice and make offerings to Israel's God. The first scene ends with a loud and rather familiar message. The righteousness of pagan enemies is once again greater than that of an Israelite protagonist. This theme will only get louder as the story continues. Now, you probably know what happens next. A whale, or rather, according to the text, a great fish, swallows Jonah. And since modern readings of Jonah have tended to be serious and heavy-handed, the episode with the fish has been regarded with the same severity and defended as one of history's great miracles. I think this really misses the point of a text that is clearly designed to be over-the-top and funny. There's also a pun that we miss in English. The Semitic word for fish is nun, and a reasonable translation of the name Nineveh, or Nun-Neveh, is the fish place. Jonah refuses to go to the fish city, so God, in verse 17, appointed a fish to come get him. Chapter 2 finds Jonah in the belly of the fish, praying a prayer to Yahweh. Now, this prayer is highly regarded today by Christians for its lofty words and pious confession, but 
I'm going to suggest that it's actually supposed to be a parody of religious gobbledygook and a hilarious indictment of Jonah's arrogance and xenophobia. All you have to do is read the prayer in context and allow the final verse of the chapter to be the punchline of the joke. Let's start in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. And Yahweh commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Now tell me that's not supposed to be funny. Jonah goes on and on about how religious he is, how he has access to God in his temple, how vain and pointless the worship of the pagans is. The fish can't take anymore, so it vomits Jonah out onto the shore. Now, I might be wrong, but I think that's the funniest joke in the Bible. So Jonah, defeated and still reluctant, heads off to Nineveh. And here's what happens, chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah went immediately into the city, a day's journey, and he cried out, In forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth every last one of them. Fasting and wearing sackcloth and sitting in ashes were common ancient customs associated with mourning and loss. The king of Nineveh decrees that everyone, men, women, children, even animals, participate in a citywide fast to indicate their repentance. God notices the display and relents from his plan to overthrow the city. Disaster averted, point made, happy ending. And yet, the book doesn't end here. There's one more chapter. In chapter 4, Jonah throws a little hissy fit, verse 1. But this displeased Jonah greatly, and he was angry. He prayed to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, isn't this exactly what I said when I was still in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so, O oh Yahweh, go ahead and take my life from me, for I would rather die than live. Instead of leaping for joy at the amazing thing he just witnessed, Jonah is angry. I knew you were going to pull something like this, God. It's really quite remarkable. If we insist on reading him as the original missionary, we have to wonder why he's such a bigoted jackass. If, however, we read the book as a satire on Israel's xenophobic, holier-than-thou view of itself over against its pagan neighbors, then the story opens up for us. The final scene of the book is rather quiet and mundane compared with the rest of the story. Jonah goes outside the city and sits in the hot sun to pout. God appoints, there's that word again, a plant to grow and shade him, which pleases Jonah. God then appoints a worm to eat the plant, which displeases the prophet. The book closes as God puts these questions to Jonah. God said to Jonah, are you really so deeply grieved about that plant? Yes, he replied, so deeply that I would die. And Yahweh said, You pity that plant for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow, and which appeared overnight and perished overnight. And so should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not yet know their right hand from their left, and many beasts as well? In a speech reminiscent of the book of Job, God points out the absurdity of Jonah's selfish prejudice. 
he wept over the death of a plant because it offered him shade at no cost. But the deaths of 120,000 human beings wouldn't have brought a tear to his eye because, according to Jonah's worldview, they are just foreigners, enemies, fully deserving the wrath of God just for not being born in Israel. The details on exactly why God was angry with Nineveh and what he planned to do about it are vague, but they're also beside the point. From the perspective of the author and of Jonah, the shocker here is that God is even paying attention to the pagans in the first place. Now remember, the book of Ruth gave us a story about a pagan in Israel who experienced God's blessing. Ezekiel gave displaced exiles the hopeful message that God's jurisdiction extended beyond Israel's borders. Now Jonah goes even further, insisting that this same God cares deeply about the fates not just of Israelites residing in foreign lands, nor of foreigners who happen to reside in Israel, but of actual foreigners living in foreign lands, and by implication, everyone. This kind of message would not likely have been found in Israel prior to the exile, but their experiences in Babylon and later in Persia forced serious reevaluation of everything Israel thought they believed about God and their enemies. Pagans were no longer the bad guys living in far-off cities. They were often still regarded as enemies, but they were also neighbors and colleagues. Stories like Jonah reflect the anthropological evolution of Israel while asking some very potent questions about her God. It's a super funny book, I think, but also one that runs surprisingly deep and offers a challenge that is still challenging on our side of history. This has been Book, a Bible podcast for everybody, and I have been Josh Way. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share, like, tweet, tweep, creep, blog, stumble, chumble, tumble, crackle, frackle, spackle, and fluze it to your online friends and family. If you have any comments, questions, or constructive feedback, email me at book at joshway.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 801-760-3013. Read the book blog and find more content at book.joshway.com. That's it for me, Bible Pals. I'll catch you next time. Music